I do invite you to open your copy of God's Word if you have one with you. Uh, If you don't have one with you, there ought to be one either under your seat or under the seat in front of you. And open it to uh, near the end of the Bible, uh, near the end of the New Testament, in Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4 this morning. We've been spending several weeks... Uh, kind of exploring through Scripture the what we would call the doctrine of salvation, what the Bible teaches about how we are saved from sin. And we've seen several aspects of salvation over the last several weeks. Uh, we started with uh, election, predestination. We moved into, uh, what was after that? Atonement, and then calling, uh, and then uh, conversion or faith and repentance, We learned about justification. Last week we saw uh, God's truth about uh, our adoption as sons and daughters in Christ. My question for us today, having looked at all those aspects of salvation, and as we think about them, all of those aspects of salvation up to this point either take place in eternity past in the mind of God, or they're located at some point in history in the death of Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, particularly our means of atonement, or they're all things that have happened in our recent past as believers. God has called us to faith. He has uh, converted us. He's given us faith and ability to repent of our sin. He has declared us in right relationship with him. He has justified us to himself, and he has adopted us as sons and daughters. But now what? God, having done all of those things... Now what for the life of the believer? What's, what's next? We may be tempted to ask, what happens between that moment of our faith and repentance, our, our conversion, our coming to believe in Christ, and justification and our adoption? What happens between that moment and the end of our lives? Which for some of us may be many. Some of us may have come to faith in Christ young, maybe six or seven years old, and you may live another 90 years. What in the world is God doing with your salvation in the meantime? Is salvation just this thing we experience once and then we just wait patiently until we die? If that were the case, why does God not then just at the moment of an individual's faith take them out of this world to be with himself, not just spiritually, but, but physically as well? Why does God allow so much time in between to pass? Why does he allow us to go through hardship? Why do we go through difficulty? Why do we live all these years of life in between? What is God doing in all those years and all that time between our faith in Christ and our death, or Christ's return, whichever comes first? The answer is sanctification. That's what God is doing in the meantime. He is sanctifying us. And that is the focus of our time in God's Word today, sanctification, that aspect of our salvation that we, that we talk about in terms of becoming holy, being made, conformed into the image of Christ. Here's how I've defined sanctification for uh, us, and I, I, ho- I hope, I'm pretty sure it's a biblical definition. Sanctification is this. Sanctification is the lifelong process of believers in Jesus, of followers of Christ, rejecting sin, even as we submit to God's shaping of our minds and our hearts. That's what sanctification is. It's the lifelong process of, as followers of Jesus, rejecting sin, even as we submit to God who shapes our hearts and our minds to look like Christ. As we understand and come to understand sanctification in part from 1 Thessalonians 4 today and uh, from some other places of Scripture as well, my desire is that we would understand 
clearly that God has called us as Christians to holiness. He has called us to his grace by trusting Jesus, but he's also called us to live lives that are different, that are set apart, lives that are conformed to the image of his son. And knowing that, friends, I want for us as Christians especially to make a commitment to supporting one another in that pursuit. We'll see that sanctification is not just an individual calling for the individual, but it's a corporate calling for the people of God. That God calls people to be saved through faith in Christ that they might be holy, yes, but also that they might help others to grow in their holiness as well. So I invite you, as you're comfortably able, stand with me as we honor God by reading His Word, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. The Apostle Paul, great missionary of the first century, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words to the church at Thessalonica around the years 49 to 51 A.D. He says, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Sanctification. This lifelong process of rejecting sin and being shaped by God to have our character, our hearts, our minds, our desires, and yes, our actions conformed to the image of Christ. We're going to do several things in God's word this morning. We're going to, to see Paul's uh, interaction with the Thessalonians. We're going to see a brother's request and encouragement. We're going to learn about what God's will is. We're going to see our motivation for holiness or for sanctification. We're going to practice a little bit of theology. You guys are already all theologians, and uh, even if you don't think you are, you are. And we're going to practice a little bit of theology and work this out a little bit visually. And then we're going to talk about what sanctification means for the Christian today how to pursue a life of holiness as a follower of Jesus today. So let's look first at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians 4 to see a brother's request and encouragement. We're sort of here parachuting into 1 Thessalonians. We haven't spent time in uh, the rest of the letter before today. But as we parachute into this letter, we land in a place in one of really one of Paul's more encouraging letters. And he goes from kind of general encouragement of the church in the first three chapters of 1 Thessalonians, now here in chapter 4, to a very specific exhortation. It's not no longer just general stuff. Now he's going to tell them particularly what God's desire, what God's will for them is this. Now, there are plenty of times in places of other letters that Paul writes where he as an apostle is not afraid to use very direct, very stern, even command-driven, imperative language. You must do this. You must not do that. 
This I say in the Lord, be this way, not that way. There are lots of places where Paul speaks very directly and even sternly, particularly like in 1 Corinthians where that church is just a hot mess of a dumpster fire. And I thank God for that church because they dealt with a lot of problems so that we wouldn't have to. But Paul doesn't employ that kind of direct, stern language here, does he? Instead, he uses language of encouragement, genuine exhortation. Finally then, brothers... We command, no, he doesn't say that, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk uh, and to please God just as you're doing that you do so more and more. You notice in this first verse that Paul calls the believers at the church brothers or brothers and sisters and he doesn't command their action. He doesn't command their uh, a response or way of living. Instead, he asks and he urges. This is The wisdom of God, friends, through Paul on display for us. Some requests require stern command. Others need brotherly encouragement. And what Paul is encouraging his brothers and sisters to do at the church in Thessalonica is specifically to keep walking, as he says. This is a figurative image. Walking is a figurative image for living, how we go about life, the things we think, the the desires of our heart, the actions of our hands that they keep walking in a way that pleases God. And even to increase in this, he says, just as you have been doing, even do it more and more. Commands are good when someone is not doing something that they need to do. But encouragement is for the times when someone needs a little more juice to keep doing a hard thing that is good to do. This is the case of the Thessalonians. They are walking well, But Paul knows, as they are are perhaps discouraged by some of the persecution and hardship that they face as believers, he knows that they need a little more juice, a little more gas in the tank to keep doing what they've been doing and to do it well. Brothers, Paul says, you know how to walk with God. You know how to please him because we taught you and we were there with you. You've been doing this, even though it is hard and even through hardship, but it is so good that you do this, brothers and sisters, so keep going. Keep moving. Keep walking this way. This is Paul's request and his encouragement. But he's giving this exhortation, this encouragement to godly living to the church in Thessalonica, particularly because Paul knows what God's will is for the church. Why does he encourage them to walk lives, to live lives that are pleasing to God? Because he knows what God's will is for them. Verse 3 is so wonderfully clear in its description of what God wants for his people. He wants their sanctification. Verse 3, for this is the will of God. Friend, have you ever prayed for God's will? God, I want to know what your will is for me. Well, here you have the answer. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Now that word sanctification carries with it the idea of setting something apart for special use. It's a word that's synonymous with consecration or dedication of something for a special purpose here god's will his desire is for christians to consecrate to dedicate themselves to him to set themselves apart to be used for god's holy purposes that's in part what sanctification is teaching us that we're to be set apart not for our own purposes, not for the purposes of the world, not for our own agenda, not for our own desires, not for the desires of the world, or to fulfill some sort of secular worldview. We are, as Christians, to be set apart for God's purposes, to be sanctified. That's God's will for us. 
Now, in verses 4 through 6, as you probably were paying attention as we were reading it, spell out a very specific manner of sanctification for the Thessalonians. Paul says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And then he gives them a very specific application of what sanctification for them looks like. For the Thessalonians, their consecration of themselves to God, their sanctification, their pursuit of holiness is particularly directed toward their sexual purity. You've probably noticed that. They're to abstain from sexual immorality. The word in the Greek for that is porneia, which you can make the connections to other words in our language, uh, in our vocabulary today. But porneia, sexual immorality in that day, does not just include pornography or sexually explicit images, but porneia, sexual immorality, includes biblically all forms of sex outside of covenant marriage. Paul is saying, you Thessalonians cannot be a part of that in any way. This involves further the believers at the church learning to control their bodies and to bring their natural and uh, sexual impulses under the control of holiness and honor. Moreover, we learn it's never acceptable for a believer to transgress or to defraud his brother in this matter. In this context, what Paul is saying here likely means that no believer ought to ever exercise sexual immorality, especially with the wife of another brother. The New Living Translation makes this assumption as it translates chapter 4, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians. It says, Never harm or cheat a brother, uh, uh, excuse me, never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this matter by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges all such sins, and we have solemnly warned you before. Now, sexual morality and biblical expressions of sexuality are certainly part of sanctification, absolutely. But a narrow view of sanctification as only being related to the church's sexual ethic fails to note the underlying principle of sanctification. Sanctification, God's will for us, is not just living sexually pure. That's a specific application of a broader principle that Paul is employing here. The principle that undergirds Paul's very specific exhortation toward sanctification in 1 Thessalonians 4 is this, that sanctification is the active and growing rejection of intentional sin as believers submit themselves to God's spirit-empowered shaping of their minds and their hearts. Sanctification is not just being sexually pure. It It is learning to and practicing the rejection of all kinds of intentional sin as we ask God to shape our hearts and our minds to match that of Christ. So hear me, Christian. God's will for you is that you grow in your ability to actively reject sin, even as you grow in your submission to be changed by God, to be shaped by Him, to be conformed to the image of His Son. And in this way, sanctification, we find, is both passively received as we submit to God's work and actively pursued as we chase after holiness and learn to bring our bodies under discipline. So I want to look for a moment as we, as we see kind of what God's will is for us, His will is for our sanctification. I want us to look at the passive part of sanctification and the active part of sanctification. Here's the passive part. God is working for our passive sanctification. God is working in us as we submit to Him. As we say, God, do what you want with me. As we say, God, I am the recipient of whatever work you're going to do in my life to make me, to conform me to the image of your Son. 
We see that sanctification on the one hand is first a work of God. It's something that he does in the life of the Christian, in the life of the believer. He makes us holy. He conforms us to the image of his son. So in this way, sanctification is at least passive. We say, God, do what you want with me. Take, for instance, the exhortation and the command that comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. There, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, another very encouraging letter. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So here Paul commands the church at Philippi, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is working in you to love what he loves. And God is working in you to enable you to do what he loves. So the command is to work out one salvation, the individual salvation, with a worshipful and a reverent heart before God, with fear and trembling. That's what that means. But the explanation of how this happens in Philippians 2.13 has God as the key worker and God as the key mover. God is the one who takes divine initiative to give his Holy Spirit to believers to work in them. And it is God who wills the believer, who, who gives us a desire to grow in sanctification and to work, to live for his good pleasure. Another example of what it means to be involved passively in sanctification, to say, God, here I am, do what you want with me, however you need to, conform me into the image of your son, I'm yours, do what you want. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I appeal to you, brothers, present your bodies as living sacrifices. Friends, what do sacrifices do? Whatever the sacrificer wants them to, right? Sacrifices live and die at the pleasure of the sacrificer. Does that make sense? When Paul says to the church, I appeal to you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. What he is saying is, take your life and place it on the altar of God's presence and say, God, I'm yours. Do whatever you want with me. Do whatever you want with me. And what is it that God wants to do with us? According to Romans 12, verse 2, not kill us. No, his will is to transform us. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed. Even that's in the passive voice, the voice of receiving action done to you. Be transformed. Paul doesn't say, don't be conformed to the world, but transform yourselves. No, he says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. By what? By whom? Well, the implication is certainly by God, whom we have offered our lives as a living sacrifice to. God works for our passive sanctification. As we say, God, I'm yours. Do whatever you want with me. My life is Christ's. I've turned from my sin. My faith is in him. My whole life is yours. You control me. You make me what you want me to be. But we also see our own personal active working toward sanctification. Our working toward active sanctification. So sanctification is passive. As we say, God, do whatever you want with me. Sanctification is also active as we pursue the things and we do the things that God has commanded us to do. 
coming back to 1 Thessalonians 4, our focal passage today, we find Paul making clear the fact that sanctification involves active obedience from followers of Jesus and personal rejection of sin by followers of Jesus. All the conditions of sanctification in the example of the Christian sexual ethic that we have in 1 Thessalonians 4 are directed to the believer to fulfill and pursue. Paul is speaking to believers, do these things, pursue sexual purity. Do not defraud your neighbor, abstain from sexual immorality, control your body in holiness and honor. These are direct encouragements, direct exhortations to believers to do something about their sanctification, right? Now, there are several passages that we could consider here as well. We could look at Romans 6, 2 Corinthians 7, Ephesians 4, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Timothy 6, 1 Peter 2. All of these things, all of these passages have very clear, a very clear calling, a very clear direction to individual followers of Jesus to put forth personal effort in pursuing holy living. Lots of passages throughout Scripture of God to His people saying, pursue holiness, live holy lives, reject sin. But for our purposes this morning, here's just this one passage from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. Peter writes to the churches. It's scattered about Asia Minor. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. That sounds like Paul in Romans chapter 12, doesn't it? Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Peter there citing from Leviticus 19.12. As he who called you is holy, Peter says to the church, so you also be holy. Actively pursue holiness. Actively go after sanctification. Make decisions to pursue righteousness. So on the one hand, sanctification, this process of being made holy, of being conformed to the image of Christ, is a spiritual process that is conducted by God as he makes the holy, as he transforms the thoughts and the desires and the actions of the believer. But on the other hand, sanctification and this this pursuit of holiness is a discipline that's undertaken by the will of the individual. It's something, Christian, that we pursue on purpose. The active pursuit of holy living, of righteousness through ongoing repentance and through willful rejection of sin for the sake of God's glory and for the good of our own growth in holiness. So we have a brother's exhortation, a brother's request. Paul's saying, this is, I'm asking, I'm urging you to keep pursuing sanctification. Why? Because it's the will of God for you. He wants to make you holy. And he's going to work holiness in you, but he's also calling you to pursue holiness. So why do any of this, though? What's the motivation for our sanctification? What's the motivation for rejecting sin and being conformed to the image of Christ? Well, Paul gives that to us in verses 7 and 8. Why do we do this? Why do believers submit to God's work in us? And why do we daily repent of sin and strive to live for holiness? It sounds like a lot of work. It sounds hard. And that's because it is. But why do we do it? Well, Paul reminds the church in his own day, and friends, the church today, Paul is reminding us from the pages of Scripture today, that we do this, we pursue holiness, we pursue sanctification, we give ourselves to God to be changed into the image of Christ or conformed to the image of Christ, and we actively pursue holiness because this is what God has called us to do. And it's how God has called us to live. 
the holy God and creator of the universe, who made human beings in his own image to live in a relationship of mutual love and of our worship of him, has his holiness thrown in his face as each one of us as human beings at one time or another in our lives have said to God, you know what, God? No, I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to live life on my terms. I'm going to live out my own plan for my life. I think my wisdom is better than yours, and I think my design for life is better than the one that you have given to me. Thank you very much, God, but I don't need you. This rejection of God, and some of us do it rather politely. Some of us do it even with a kind of a regard for God. God, I know you're there, and I trust that you're good, but I've got this. We can reject God even rather politely. And and I would say most of us, that's probably how we've done it. This rejection of God, whether it's severe and stark and harsh or whether it's politely done, the Bible calls sin. So it doesn't matter the way that you've rejected God. If you've rejected God, and friend, you have, you're guilty of sin. This is the definition of unholiness to not be set apart for God's purposes, but to pursue your own. And all of us are guilty of it, and all of us are deserving, as Scripture says, of physical death and separation from God forever because of our rejection of Him. But as we've seen so many times over the past many weeks, as we've explored this doctrine of salvation from Scripture, God, in His unfailing love for sinners sends his sinless, that is his perfectly holy son, Jesus, the Christ, to live among us, to die on a Roman cross, to receive God's wrath against our sin in our place, and to be raised from the dead. With Christ's resurrection, God gives the promise to everyone who will hear it that if we turn from sin and trust in Christ alone to bring us into a renewed relationship with God, that we will be saved. Saved from sin, saved from death, justified to God, put in right standing with God, but will receive the promise of eternal life, will be adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and more still, as Romans 8.29 says, that God has purposed in eternity past to conform everyone who trusts Jesus this way into the character and the image of his son. That is, they will be shaped to his holiness. Why do we pursue sanctification? Because, as 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 says, that God has not called us for impurity. He saved us from it. He's not called us for impurity, but he call, he's called us in holiness. He's called us in the holiness of his character. He's called us in the holiness of his son. That we, and he's given us his own Holy Spirit that we might walk following Christ in a manner that pleases God and to do so more and more. Amen. This is why we pursue holiness. Because a holy God has pursued us that way. And he saved us for that purpose. Sanctification is this lifelong process of rejecting sin and submitting to God as he changes our hearts and our thoughts and our actions and our desires. So let's go a little bit deeper and put on our theologian hats and let's practice a little bit of theology this morning. Let's understand sanctification a little bit deeper in its two different parts. Perhaps you have heard, as, as maybe you've read some theology books or other theologians or Bible scholars over the years, uh, a discussion or a, a differentiation between two kinds of sanctification, two kinds of being made holy, a positional kind 
and a progressive kind. Positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. And to illustrate these two, uh, I have made a chart. Aren't you happy? And so Ken's going to put that chart up on, uh, on the screen behind us. And if you're a doodler uh, or you like, you're a visual kind of learner, I, uh, I invite you to go ahead and copy this down. There, um, I put it together, but I'm using other resources from other people. And so if you want to steal it and use it, that's fine. You're stealing other people's work, not mine. Um, I'm against plagiarism. I feel like I should just say that as an English major. Uh, Okay, so here we have a picture of what sanctification looks like in the life of the believer. Positional sanctification and progressive sanctification. So we have three areas of this chart. Down below is the state of sinfulness apart from Christ, which, friend, all of us live in until we trust Jesus. If you have not yet come to faith in Christ, your life is solely, is completely lived. You are existing in that bottom layer of this chart. You are living in sin apart from Christ. You are actively rejecting God until you turn from sin and trust Jesus alone for your salvation. But at the moment of conversion, you have a nice little red cross there. It says conversion. At the moment that we come to understand that God sent his son Jesus to die for us, to be raised from the dead, that the promise of eternal life and salvation from sin and death come by trusting in Jesus and turning from our sin. When we trust Jesus and repent of sin, we are saved, right? Praise God. And our life takes two different paths, okay? So the blue line indicates that at the moment of our faith in Jesus, we are immediately positionally holy in Christ. This has connection to that that aspect of uh, salvation we call justification that we looked at a few weeks ago, where God declares us as we trust Jesus in that moment to be right with him. So we are, when we trust Christ, immediately positionally holy in Christ. We, we stand in a position of holiness between us and God. It's why all throughout the New Testament, Paul and, and uh, other writers uh, of letters throughout the New Testament can call the church saints. Why? Because they're perfectly sinless? No, not yet. But because in God's sight, they are positionally holy. Okay? Now, the good news is when you trust Jesus, you are positionally holy with God. There's no longer anything, no longer any sin that keeps you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Problem is, though, we still live in these bodies and we still have time left to to work out. So here is where our actual, our lived lives, our applied holiness, if I can put it that way, kind of follows that, that track of that green line through the middle. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, We are transported from sinfulness apart from Christ into this part of our life where we are growing in holiness, growing in holiness applied, growing in the holiness of our thoughts and the holiness, the the sanctification of our desires, growing in the holiness of our hands as we bring even all of our actions into submission to him. And our life of sanctification as we go through time is not a, it's not a straight shot like our positional sanctification. And and it's not even a a, a linear progression. It's kind of all over the place, isn't it? As time goes on, there are moments of our life where we have like these spiritual highs. We have massive, quick uh, uh, amounts of growth in our sanctification where, where God works out a lot of sinfulness in us very, very quickly. And then there are other times there are spiritual lows, times where we fall back into old patterns of sin. And we need God to work sanctification into our hearts and minds and into our actions again. And there are even times where we kind of plateau and we may drop off steeply and we may uh, shoot up in our uh, sanctification, grow very quickly, but we are progressively growing in sanctification, progressively growing in personal holiness as followers of Jesus until the day of our death. 
And on the day of our death, we, we shoot right back up, right? Where there now our applied holiness matches our positional holiness. Where no longer we're struggling with sin and uh, desires for things of the world and things of the flesh, but where our, our physical, our, our actual holiness matches our positional holiness, where our thoughts and our hearts and our desires match the holiness that God says we have when we have trusted in Christ. So, theology section over, okay? Sanctification is positional and progressive. The moment we trust Christ, God treats us as though we are holy. There's no longer anything separating us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But at the same time, he's calling us to work out our salvation until the day of our death when we go to meet him, growing in holiness more and more, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, every day. So, we come to understand this process of growing in holiness, this process of growing in Christ's likeness. Now, how do we actually pursue it? How do we move ourselves along that, that green path, the ups and downs? How do we navigate our spiritual life in Christ, growing in holiness with each passing day? I have three things for you to consider this morning. If your desire is to pursue sanctification, to pursue holiness, to pursue the likeness of Christ in your own life, start first by evaluating your heart. Evaluate your heart. Ask yourself this morning and and really evaluate. I'm asking you to be courageous and to be honest and to take a, a real good, hard, clear, biblical look at your life. Really evaluate whether your whether you desire personal holiness. Do you really want to be made like Christ? Do you really want to not think those sinful thoughts anymore? Do you really want to have those sinful desires removed from you? Do you really want to stop sinning? Do you really want to stop drinking? Do you really want to stop being unfaithful to your spouse? Do you really want to stop your foul language? Do you really want to stop being abusive in how you treat other people? Do you? That's a question we have to ask when we think about pursuing sanctification. Does it bother you when you become aware of sin in your life? Do you make efforts when you become aware of sin in your life to repent of it? to turn from it and to change those sinful desires that lead to sin. Christian, do you want to be like Christ in every aspect of your living? These are hard questions that as followers of Jesus, knowing that God's will is our sanctification, that we need to ask and answer honestly. And friend, if you do not desire personal holiness, what might that, what, what might that say about what you know of Jesus? If, we're, if God has saved us to be conformed to the image of, your, of his son, but you have no desire to be holy, no desire to be rid of sin, what, is that, what does that make you think? What does that say about what you think about Jesus? Do you understand him really to be sinless, perfectly holy, the divine son of God? If your desire is to continue in sin, perhaps you've not understood Jesus that way. What might a lack of desire for holiness say about your actual salvation? Knowing that God did not call us to impurity, but he has called us in holiness. If we don't desire holiness in any way, friend, can we, maybe we need to ask, do I really know Christ as Lord? Have I really, really repented of sin and trusted him to save me? If you have no desire for holiness, if you have no desire, uh, no conviction over your sin, friend, can you even rightly say that you are a Christian? Can you even rightly say that you have received the Holy Spirit as God says he gives to everyone who truly believes? Evaluate your heart. 
Now, prayerfully, hopefully all of you are in the the positive side of that. I am evaluating my heart. I do want to be done with sinfulness. I do want to grow in holiness. I do want my thoughts to be more pure. I do want my desires to be more more godly and not, not, not so selfish. And I really do want to act. I really do want to live in the world and love in the world the way that Christ did. So then what's the next step? Well, the next step is begin exercising discipline. Pursuing sanctification doesn't happen by accident. It's hard work that you've got to dedicate yourself to. It requires discipline. Donald Whitney, a Southern Baptist author, uh, in this book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says, those who know God are given His Holy Spirit. We've seen that over the last several weeks and again today in 1 Thessalonians 4. Those who know God are given His Holy Spirit. And all those indwelled by the Holy Spirit are compelled to pursue holiness. If the Holy Spirit of God lives in the heart of the believer, what do you think the Holy Spirit of God is going to lead the believer to want to do? Pursue holiness. It's who he is. Donald Whitney continues, the urgent question every Christian should ask is, how can I become more like Jesus Christ? The answer, he says, comes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, when Paul instructs Timothy to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. How can I become more like Jesus Christ? By disciplining yourself to act, to live, to speak, to love more like Jesus Christ. So pursuing sanctification, pursuing godliness in our character, in our action, friends, it doesn't happen accidentally. It takes intentional effort. And as Donald Whitney notes, there are at least in this wonderful book, at least 10 ways, 10 disciplines, spiritual disciplines found in scripture that help us to grow in godliness. Are you ready for them? Bible reading, prayer, corporate and private worship, evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence, and solitude. It's one I think we all could probably discipline ourselves in a little bit more. Journaling and learning. Ten disciplines he recognizes from the course of Scripture, throughout Scripture, that help us to discipline ourselves for godliness, that help us to pursue sanctification on purpose. Unfortunately, a lot of the time in the life of the church, when somebody comes to faith in Christ and we tell them to, you know, to, go, on, to go on living, following Jesus, we tell them to do some of these, but not all of these. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, tithe. And usually the, the list stops there. Those are four. Those are four of the ones that Donald Whitney notes, but he noticed six others in addition to that. Evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, learning. All of sanctification, the pursuit of holiness, friends, does not take place in Bible reading and prayer and showing up for church on Sunday. There are other disciplines that are meant to to touch other parts of our lives, to to, uh, lead us closer uh, to Christ, to help us to grow in our sanctification and holiness. If we want to pursue sanctification and Christ-likeness, friends, we have to exercise discipline. Exercise, specifically, spiritual disciplines that are found in Scripture that help us to be conformed more to the image of Christ. Now, here's what I want to do this morning. I have one more point, but before I get there. If you, friend, know that one of the things as a follower of Jesus that is keeping you from growing in sanctification is your lack of discipline. Your lack of discipline to follow Jesus. And you need some help there. Here's what I want to do. I have four copies of this book with me this morning. Um, Now, listen, I I don't want to give these books to just anybody, okay? Uh, I I feel like if if there was a spiritual gift uh, uh, so-called as giving books, I would have it. But 
it's not in the Bible, but, um, but I like to be generous and give books that have helped me to help others as well. Friend, if you need discipline in your spiritual life, if you need help in being disciplined to follow Jesus more faithfully, I've got four copies of these books that I want to give out to people today. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to give it to you so that you can go do it all, all on your own by yourself without any accountability from somebody else. So I have four books to give to two pairs, two pairs of people. So uh, we'll see how this goes. I'm happy to give two books to a pair of men and two books to a pair of women. At the end of uh, worship today, you come see me with somebody else um, that, that may also uh, need to grow in discipline. And I'll give you each a book. And, you, and here's what I want you to do if you take these books today. Uh, to the two men that may take the book, to the two women that may take the book. I want you all, and if it's just men that come or just women that come, then we'll have two pairs of men, two pairs of women. But anyway, here's what I want you to commit to. Read the book together and practice the disciplines together. Build accountability for sanctification around a, a helpful resource in your own life. Okay? So come see me after worship if you're interested in that, and we'll figure that out. So how do we pursue sanctification? We evaluate our hearts. We exercise discipline. And then third and finally, it gets to the purpose of giving these books to two pairs. We engage with others. We engage with others. Paul addresses the Thessalonians in our passage this morning as brothers or brothers and sisters. We saw last week that when we looked at, when we looked at adoption into God's family as a part of our salvation, that we have family obligations to one another. And one of those obligations is to see that we are helping one another grow in holiness, grow in sanctification. Hebrews 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Brothers and sisters, we who know Christ have been called to holiness, and our hearts are regularly tempted to be slack in holiness. We need each other to grow in sanctification. We need the help of one another. We need to engage in one another's lives to help press one another toward godliness. We need to engage with our brothers and sisters in chasing after Christ and being conformed to his image. So sanctification is this lifelong process of rejecting sin and being shaped by God into the image of his son. And we pursue that path, having been declared holy by God, knowing that we are saints of God as we've come to faith in Christ. We also desire to live out saintly lives as we evaluate our hearts, as we exercise discipline, spiritual disciplines, pursuing sanctification, and as we engage with others in this process. So as we close this morning, I want us to reflect for just a moment on what God intends for us in this life. This is God's will for you, your sanctification, your holiness, your conformity to the image and likeness of Christ. Given all that we've seen from Scripture this morning, I want for you to take a moment right now, if you have a pen or just make a mental note or type it in a note on your phone, write down, determine in your mind what your next step toward greater sanctification is. You all have one today. Every one of us has a next step in sanctification. Write it down. Right now. Then in a few moments, as we dismiss and we go to small group Bible study, 
before diving into your study for the, for, for the day. Now, we have a couple groups that do sermon-based discussion, and so this may help you along your way, those groups. But some of us are studying other things, and that's just fine. But before you dive into your study this morning, Bible study leaders, you help me with this. I want you and your small groups to share what that next step of sanctification is. You can get to your, you can get to your study. That's fine. No problem. But share with a group of people that you trust, that you study the Bible with and pray with every single week, who know you, who know your hurts, who know your strengths, who know your weaknesses. Share with them what your next step of sanctification is in life. Do I need to engage my heart in a particular way? Do I need to exercise a particular discipline more? Do I need to give attention to this part of my life? Do I need to engage with somebody else because I've been trying to do it on my own for too long and I'm just not growing? And then even as you share what your next step for sanctification is, I want you to ask for help from others. I want you to be bold. I want you to be courageous to look at those around you that you love and live life with and study the Bible with to say, I need help here. I need additional resources here. I need you to pray for faithfulness and fruitfulness in my life. Christian sanctification is a lifelong process of rejecting sin as we submit to God's shaping power in our lives. Let's practice it today with each other. And friend, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian. Your first step for holiness is already written down for you. Your first step toward holiness, your first step toward being conformed to the image of Christ, if you're not yet a Christian, is to turn to Christ in faith and dependence for your salvation today. That's your first step. And if that's the next step that you need to take today, dear friend, I invite you, please come meet with me in just a moment after, after we dismiss. I may have some uh, books that I need to give out, but hang out. We've got time between now and Bible study. Let's me and you meet in this room to talk together about how you begin following Christ, taking that first step of being conformed to his image today. Let's talk today about how you can begin following Christ. Let's talk today about how you can have assurance of your salvation and your positional holiness with God and of the promise of God's Holy Spirit to help you walk in holiness until the day of your death or Christ's return, whichever comes first. We all have steps in sanctification to take today. We're going to take them together. We're going to take them together, together, as we engage with one another in this process of following Christ more closely. Let's pray together.